Well, church, it is, it's good to be gathered together. Um, it is a unique situation, no doubt. Um, my prayer has been that we as a church would stay unified, that we'd continue to walk in love, that through this unique circumstance, God would be honored and glorified in our city and through our lives. A lot of questions, a lot of, a lot of, we all have a lot of questions about what's going on right now. But one thing we know beyond the shadow of a doubt, that this has not taken God by surprise, that he's in control, that he's at work, that he still reigns, and that he's able uh, to, to even use these circumstances for his namesake and glory. So let's trust him to do that together, that the gospel would go forth in power, that it would be reflected in our lives as a community, that we would stay connected as a church. Uh, and, and, and that we wouldn't let fear win the day. Um, so I'm praying for you. I am grateful uh, for you. Um, we've been working through a lot. I know you've been working through a lot just individually, uh, but also with your own family. Um, we want you to know this, um, please. Uh, we want you to know that if you have any needs, anything at all, if you're not connected to the broader uh, community, if you've not connected yet to a house group, if you don't know a lot of people, we do not want you to hesitate if a need comes up and email. We want you to email us. We want you to let us know where there's a need. We, we want to stay connected. We know because we're a new church that we have a lot of people who have been a part of our community and haven't been able to connect with a house group yet. We want to encourage everyone uh, to reach out to someone that you know in this community and, and connect with them. Check on them. Just give them a call. Text them. See if they're doing all right. Um, let's really be intentional here in the next uh, few weeks and, and stay connected however, however we can. Well, we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of Luke. And um, if you would, open your Bibles or turn in your journals to Luke chapter 8. God sovereignly has us in this chapter, and I know it's going to be an encouragement to you as a church. I, I just, I know it is. It's so, it has so lifted my heart and lifted my gaze um, to, to him and, and built my faith in what he's, what he's doing and, and his sovereign control over things. And so let's just open with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to gather this morning. Father, we ask that you would use your word to strengthen hearts, um, to grow our faith, to remind us of what is true, that you would help us to grow more in love with you than ever before. Lord, we, we commit this time to you. By your spirit, Lord, would you uh, speak to our fears? Would you speak to these circumstances? Would you help us, Lord, to rest in you, to look to you with eyes of faith? Do a work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What happens when we come to the end of our resources? When we face circumstances beyond our control and we're in it. You ever experience fear that feel, feels more like panic? I know I have. Maybe it was the lack of control over a natural disaster like a hurricane or the humiliation of bondage to evil or the expense of medical care or the finality of death. Well, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus faces all of these fears head on. So what does that have to do with our deepest fears? Well, let's check it out. Luke chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 22. One day he got into a boat and it, with his disciples and he said to them, 
let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. and He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. And now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened... They fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the peoples of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone, begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe 
and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. And he said, do not weep for she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called her saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Three things I want us to see here this morning. First, Jesus has power over nature. Second, power over the forces of evil. And third, powers over disease, power over disease and death. So number one, power over nature. The day started really like any other for Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus is like, hey, we're going to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. As they set out, Jesus falls asleep in the boat. And then this windstorm comes. It it actually says it it came down on the lake, literally, because the Sea of Galilee is, is actually located in a valley basin 700 feet below sea level. And so it's surrounded by mountains, and it's susceptible to sudden and violent storms. We're talking about waves that would reach up to seven feet. And so when Luke says they were actually filling with water and were in danger, like like he meant it. They were really in danger. And truth is, every time I read this story and I see Jesus sleeping in a storm like this, I'm a little jealous at how solid Jesus can sleep. I just, I want to sleep that hard. They wake him up, and they say in a a very calm voice, Excuse me, sir. We're in a bit of a pickle. Would you mind helping us? No, actually, they didn't say it that that way at all. (laughs) They said, We're perishing. We're we're, going to die. We're going to drown. In the book of Mark, it actually says uh, that they they say it this way, Don't you care that we're going to drown? I just want you to think about that phrase. They're speaking... To the Son of God, the one who took on flesh, took on the stuff we're made of, and was in their boat if he cared for them. See, they didn't fully grasp who Jesus was at this point. Not fully. But they stir him and they say, we're perishing. And they were freaking out. I remember uh, just last summer, we rented this old house on a lake up in North Carolina and it came with a pontoon boat that we could rent as well. And so I had my, my boys and then I had my three nieces with me. And we were going to gas up this pontoon boat across the, on the other side of the lake. And uh, on our way back, there was a summer storm rolling in. And, I, you know, I'm thinking, okay, we'll make it back to the, the house. Well, halfway, right, right in the middle of this lake, this summer storm hits us hard. And it had wind the, the pontoon was rocking back and forth. It had hail. And when you add hail to the mix, the kids just start freaking out. You know, not, they didn't all have towels to wrap themselves in. So they're just like, they're getting pelted by hail. So I just, I went in, you know, uh, superhero, super dad mode, you know, wrapped a t-shirt around my face, got my sunglasses on and just punched that pontoon. And I'm like, all right, I know that I can't see the house that we rented. I can't see the dock, but it's over that way. And I'm just like squinting. It's, they're, you're, they're crying. They're whimpering. And I'm just like ignoring them. And we're gunning it for the, for the cabin. It was crazy. And it was actually really scary for me too. Because I'm thinking, all right, if, if we do flip, who do I grab first? I'm just joking. 
I would, I wasn't thinking that. Um, I, it was actually, it was really insane. But this is the type of storm that rolled in. It rolled in fast. And the disciples saw it coming in. They knew Jesus was asleep. And once it hit, um, they're experiencing this storm that was actually flooding their boat and freaking them out. So Jesus does something that really freaks them out. He actually speaks to the wind and the raging waves. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And then there's calm. And at the same house, the same cabin that we rented, uh, the thing that I would enjoy the absolute most was waking up early in the morning before any of the kids were up, going out in the canoe, and just breaking the calm of that lake with the canoe paddle. And just getting out into the, the center and just sitting and just like glass. And it was, it was uh, funny after the storm to think about the calm and just the difference between the two. But that's exactly what Jesus spoke here. He spoke calm to the situation. And the water, I imagine, was just like that lake in North Carolina, completely calm like glass. The wind and the waves heard in that very moment the voice of their creator. Think about that. They had no option. They had to cease. They heard the voice of their creator. The one who spoke them into existence, he's demonstrating his power and authority over nature in that moment. In verse 25, Jesus asked them, where is your faith? It's important for us to really just pause and ask, well, what is faith to begin with? Faith is belief. It's trust. If if you're sitting in a chair, you actually practiced faith that that chair would hold you up. It's belief in something, all right? So it always has an object that it's resting in. Our faith is never just faith in faith. Faith always has an object that it's resting in. It's directed at something or someone. And Jesus asked them, where is your faith? In other words, where is your faith directed? Who are you trusting in in this moment? It's an important question. It's one we should be asking ourselves as well. So the strange calm, though, brought about... Uh, in the disciples' heart, a new storm. A new storm that just raged inside their hearts and their heads. They were afraid because they marveled and were standing in awe of what Jesus actually did because they had just witnessed a greater power than the storm itself. They had just witnessed Jesus speaking to the storm and demonstrating his authority over nature. And then that new storm just brewed in their hearts and they asked a new question. Not, do you care for us? Not, oh my goodness, we're going to drown. What are you going to do about it? The new question they asked, who is this? Who is this that the wind and the waves obey him, submit to him? And that's the question we're meant to carry with us as we continue through this chapter. It's the most important question that we could actually ever ask. When we consider Jesus and we look at him and we say, who is this? Second, we see Jesus showing power over the forces of evil in this next story. So they reach the other side, like Jesus said they would. They get to the other side of the lake or the sea. And once they get to the other side, if they're, on Gentile, they're in Gentile territory, or it's a, it's a non-Jewish territory where predominantly Gentiles or non-Jews are, are living. There's some Jews in there as well, but um, it's... It's a territory that the disciples wouldn't have maybe chosen to have gone. And the disciples, though, they think, all right, we just experienced the craziest event of our day. And, and we would all think that. 
I mean, we're in a boat with Jesus and he speaks. He rebukes the wind and the waves and they listen to his voice. Um, they were wrong that that was the craziest event of their day because as soon as they reach dry land, uh, they meet this man. This man actually confronts them with screaming and yelling. The disciples were probably like, whoa, okay, we've had enough drama today. Let's get back in the boat. But Jesus is resolute. As calm as he was in the boat, he's calm before this human storm who's coming right up to him, yelling and screaming. So the man, let's, the man we're not actually told his name, but he's described this way. He had demons, and it was, you know, for a long time, actually, he went about with no clothes and was living among the tombs. And he had been actually kept under guard and shackled but would from time to time break out of his bonds and be driven into the desert. There's a long and a weary history behind this man's story. We don't know it. This didn't happen overnight. The condition that he's in didn't happen overnight. A broken situation for sure. And there's a lot of questions surrounding this story. Like, I mean, demons? Like, all right, what are those? Possession? What's that about? Oh, uh, how did this man end up like this? And those are fine questions to ask. But the tr- here's what we have before us. We have a man so out of control, so enslaved by the powers of evil for a long time now. A man shunned by the community. This community doesn't know what to do about him. And, and the truth is, neither would you. I, I wouldn't know what to do about this man. I mean, what do you do with a half-naked man running around the tombs? Actually, a fully naked man running around the tombs. Who can break out of chains? What would you do if you saw a half-naked man running around the city of St. Pete? They didn't know what to do with him. Everything about this story actually is ceremonially unclean. Let me explain. They're in Gentile territory, as I said before. They're among the tombs. And they're engaging an unclean spirit. And so for centuries, the Israelites were taught what would bring defilement and make them unclean. And these purification practices or rites reminded Israel of God's holiness. They also set up some practical uh, hygienic guidelines. Remember, there was no soap, like at least like what we have. It wasn't hand sanitizer everywhere they looked. Let me give you some examples of some of these Things that they were to stay away from, otherwise they become unclean. So contact with reproductive fluids, uh, a skin disease, touching mold, touching dead bodies, and then eating certain animals. And pigs was in that category. So these things, they're a picture of impurity. It's kind of like vandalism. This uncleanliness is like vandalism, which defaces and corrupts. Now, it's important for us to think about sin even that way. Sin vandalizes. It, it's, it's a vandalism of the heart. It's a pollution of the heart. And so in this story, what's happening is that Jesus confronts this vandalism through his purifying presence. He enters the pollution, the uncleanliness of the scene. He gets his hands dirty. He demonstrates his cleansing power and his cleansing authority. It's a powerful scene. Jesus confronts the unclean spirits in the man, and he commanded the unclean spirit to come out. He doesn't ask. He commands. So authority is demonstrated once again. 
but this time over the powers of evil and darkness. And they're terrified. They're terrified. And they should be. They know who Jesus is, and they know what he's capable of. And then verses 30 through 33, it just, it seems that Jesus actually showed mercy on the demons when they're saying, hey, don't throw us into the abyss, throw us into these pigs. It seems like Jesus is actually showing mercy towards these demons unnecessarily uh, and, and unnecessarily throws them into the pigs and messes with the herdsmen. I mean, what, what's up with that? We have a lot of questions about what's going on here. Like, what in the world? Why are they being thrown into the pigs? Well, let me explain what the demons didn't want. The demons didn't want to be thrown into the abyss. Verse 31. This is the final resting place for the Satan, for Satan and his demons. The final destination. We can read about that in the book of Revelation, in the book of Matthew, in the book of 2 Peter. The abyss. They didn't want that. The pigs, they represent that uncleanliness. They are an unclean animal. And it becomes a picture for us, especially in this story. It represents for us this uncleanliness. We watch the unclean pigs run headlong into the lake, into the abyss of the lake, into the depth of the lake, and drown. A lake the disciples had just survived. Remember, they were afraid they were going to drown. So the unclean pigs fall into the abyss of the lake while the man sits at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. What is going on? Let me tell you what's going on. The purifying presence of Jesus is what's going on. He casts the uncleanliness out of the man, put it into the unclean animal, who then they ran headlong, headfirst, into the abyss of the sea. Cleansed. He's, he's made into his right mind. He's sitting at Jesus' feet. The purifying presence of Jesus. Can you think of a more unclean or crazy scene? Yet Jesus meets this man where he is and has power and authority over these dark forces that had had him bound for so long. The result, well, the people of the city are afraid. Are they afraid more pigs are going to be lost? Ah, that's really not where their fear is. is. It's, it's actually they're afraid, I, I believe, of the, the power that Jesus demonstrated over what they themselves could not control. And they ask him to leave. They ask Jesus Please leave. Well, the man who was enslaved to powers of darkness has experienced salvation in the truest sense of the word. Jesus, the king, is demonstrating his kingdom, his righteous and just rule. The forces of darkness are confronted and overcome. And the man who is delivered and set free, he begs Jesus to go with him. What does Jesus say? Go home. Go home and tell him what happened. So go home and tell them was actually Jesus' call to this man to follow him. He doesn't explicitly say to him, like literally say, follow me, like he, he did for others. But he does say, follow me, by saying, go home and tell them. It, it's really the same command that we've been given. We are to follow Jesus, but we're also to go home and tell. Tell what? Tell him what God has done for you. And so the man goes and he tells what Jesus had done for him. He spoke of the purifying presence of Jesus, the delivering power of Jesus, his authority over the demonic realm, his authority to cleanse us of every impurity, 
You hear of the cleansing blood of Jesus, and we're like, what? Blood? Cleansing? How? What? It speaks to what Jesus can accomplish in his uh, death, what Jesus has accomplished in his death and resurrection to cleanse us of our sin. Power over nature. Power over the forces of darkness. And finally, power over disease and death. Church, I know that we're afraid of losing what we value. I mean, that's what fear is all about. When we fear, usually it's rooted in just this thought that I might lose something that I value or someone that I value. Whether it's good health or whether it's people. And it's ratcheted up when we run out of answers or funds or we discover there's no known cure. We feel helpless. We don't know what to do. Panic can set in. We're afraid. There are two desperate situations in the remainder of Luke chapter 8. I, I want us to see they, they, these, these desperate situations actually uh, run into each other and fight for Jesus' attention. The first is uh, Jairus, who is this ruler of the local synagogue, and he is absolutely desperate for Jesus to come uh, with him. Why? Because his 12-year-old daughter is about to die. It doesn't get heavier than this. She's about to die. Time is short. Jesus, Jesus, come with me. I have a 12-year-old son and a 13-year-old son. I'm thinking, if they were in this place of about to die on the brink of death, the desperation in this man must have been, I mean, like, off the chart. He has no answer he has no, no known cure for his son, for his daughter, rather. She's about to die. So Jesus went with him, and we feel some relief in that, don't we? But the crowds are pressing in on Jesus, and they're slowing him down. Imagine how the father is thinking, like, oh my goodness, please, Jesus, come. Don't slow down. Don't stop for anyone else, my daughter. But he does. He slows down. And Luke tells us about a, another person, another desperate situation, a woman Actually, with a serious health condition. She has a 12-year battle with this health condition. It's interesting that the daughter is 12 years old, and here this woman is battling a 12-year uh, battle uh, for her health. It's a discharge of blood. Is this hemorrhaging of some kind? Something with her, her cycle? We don't really know all the details, but we know it's a serious condition for this woman, and that she spent all that she's had, all, the, all of her living on physicians, and they had no answer, no cure. So she's destitute, and she has this medical condition that can't be cured. She's desperate. And she knows what she shouldn't do. Because of her discharge of blood, she's unclean. This theme of being unclean, this theme of, uh, of, of uncleanliness continues to emerge. And she knows that she should not touch anyone, let alone a rabbi. But she's desperate. And she does what she knows she shouldn't do. She touches Jesus. She presses through the crowd. She falls on her knees and she reaches out to touch the hem, the edge, literally the tassels hanging on the edge of Jesus's garment. You can read about those tassels in Numbers 15. Faithful Jews would wear tassels on the hem of their garment to remind them of the law. That's what, I'm belie- that's what I think she was grabbing onto. And as soon as she did it, it stopped. 
It stopped immediately, just like the wind in the, in the raging waters, and she knew it. She knew that it stopped, and Jesus knew the power had gone out from him. And in verse 47, uh, she realized that she was found out. She realized that she couldn't get away with it. <laughs> And she was trembling. Was she, was she weeping? Uh, she, she was found out. She was afraid, but she came forward and, and she explains what she did. And you would imagine that, that Jesus or another rabbi or, would say, how could you do that? Why, why would you do that? You're, you're unclean. You know better. None of that. That's not how Jesus responded. Look at verse 48. He responded with absolute tenderness. Jesus calls her Daughter. She's scared. She doesn't know how Jesus is going to respond. She did what she shouldn't. She touched him. And he responds this way. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now remember, faith has an object that it rests in. Where was her faith directed in that moment? To the tassels that she held on to? No. To Jesus. And he says, go in peace. Go in wholeness. Such joy in that moment. Can, can you imagine battling something for 12 years and being healed immediately? Such joy in that moment. We have such joy and relief placed next to such sadness and grief. Look with me in, in verse 48. If I can find it. Here we go. And Jesus, uh, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, man, your daughter, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. It's over. Hey, Jairus, she's gone. She's dead. Don't bother him anymore. It's beyond hope. Jairus heard the words in that moment that he feared the most. So close. Imagine what he was thinking. I was so close. Jesus was on his way. Come on. And in that moment, Jesus stepped into the father's worst nightmare. And here's what he says. Hey, Jairus, right, right here. Eyes on me. Look here. Don't go there. Don't fear. It's, it's going to be okay. Believe. Jairus, no, listen, I, I know what you just heard. I know what he just said. I, I know you think that death has the final say. Look here. Look here, it doesn't. Believe. Believe. I'm going, I'm going with you. We're going to face this death together. He doesn't say all that, but that's essentially what he says. Don't fear. Believe. Faith has an object that it rests in. Verse 52, Jesus used sleep as a metaphor. He said, hey, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. 
because death is like sleep to Jesus. There would have been professional mourners there by this time because she was on the verge of dying. And and in this day, there were professional mourners that would come out and play instruments and weep uh, as a way to honor um, those who died and also their family. So Jesus arrives at the house, and he, as he begins to announce what's going on, hey, she's not, she's not dead, she's just asleep. They laugh at him. These mourners laugh. He, he puts them out. He invites the three in, uh, Peter, James, and John, and the parents. And then he speaks to this girl, and he says, arise. Rise. He touches the hand of this corpse. Again, this is unclean. But see, this, this, the uncleanliness is not going to make Jesus unclean. It's his purifying presence, his purifying power that actually reverses what's happened in this girl. And he says to her, arise. And her spirit returned, and so did mom and dad's joy. And apparently so did her appetite, because he says, get this girl something to eat. You know she's really healthy when she wakes up hungry. A beautiful picture of Jesus' authority over what we fear the most, disease and death. How timely for us, church. This is not a mistake. These stories are for us. Have you come to the end of your own resources? Do you feel out of control? A former bandmate of mine, I was in a band many, many years ago, good band, Really good band. Thankfully, we're not on the internet. It was that long ago. But we had a really good time. We played for seven years together locally and put out a lot, you know, a lot of music. But the best man, uh, or he was also the best man at my wedding. Um, so former bandmate, best man at my wedding, Bobby. I love him. Such a dear friend. He has Huntington's disease. It's a debilitating disease that, that, that uh, actually... Um, Affects the nervous system. He's had it for some time. And he's bedridden at this point. I went and visited Bobby just a couple weeks ago. um, And we talked about music, of course. We talked about a lot of things. But in in our conversation, I I said, Bobby, what's your your favorite story in the Gospels? And he said, "Um, I, I I love the one of the woman who touches the hem of the garment. Wow, okay, I, I didn't know. I've known you a long time. I've known you over 20 years, 20, or more than that. I didn't know that. And he, it makes sense. I, I didn't expect to hear that from Bobby, but it makes sense because he's been pressing through the crowds for a long time. And these stories actually call us to faith as we wrestle with this question. Who is Jesus? Who is this that stills the raging storm? Remember, that's the question we were supposed to keep with us as we continued through this chapter. You know, my friend Bobby, he's answered that question, who is this? Have you? Have you answered that question? Luke 8, it presents the greatest fears that we can imagine, that we can come up with. You can't come up with a fear greater than the ones that are given in Luke 8. And Jesus faced each one and invites us to trust him, to believe that he holds all, all authority, all power over nature, over evil, over disease, even over death. All authority, all power over 
our, our, our uncleanliness, our impurity, our sin, our brokenness, our vandalized hearts. It's no match for him. Wholeness and hope is found in Jesus. Have you found it? Have you looked to Jesus as the object of your faith? Where is your faith is a good question to ask. He has cleansing power. The one with all power and all authority faced death and became sin for us so that we could experience what that demon-possessed man experienced. What did he experience? Freedom. What did he experience? Salvation in the truest sense of that word. Salvation. He was given new life. Jesus faced death for you and me. He became sin for us so that we could proclaim throughout the whole city of St. Pete what God has done for us. So that we could continue on in our lives like this demon-possessed, formerly demon-possessed man had. He went back to his city, back to his home, and he, he proclaimed what Jesus had done for him. And that's what we get to do. That's what we're doing here in this city that God has put us in. His purifying presence is still at work, church. His authority is still real. The question is still ours to answer. Who is this? Who is this that has power over the raging storms? If he stilled the storm that day, can he still the storm that rages in your heart right now as we face uncertainty? I know he can. And I'm praying that he will. But whatever comes our way, can we, can we trust that the one who has power over all things has gone before us and has faced death on our behalf? That death has been defeated. And that true cleansing, true wholeness and hope is found only in Jesus. So whatever happens, he is our refuge, our safe place, a place of rest. I want that for you. Let me pray for you right now. Father, thank you so much for Luke chapter 8. Thank you for what we've seen here. How the kingdom of God just exploding on this page. Pages of scripture. As Jesus demonstrates his authority and power over nature. His authority and power over evil forces. His authority and power over demons, uh, over disease and death. Over impurity and sin. Father, thank you for that work that you've accomplished in Christ. Lord, build our faith in him. Help us to leave today asking this question, who is Jesus? Who is he? And if we arrive at the answer that he is the one who stills the storm in the raging sea and has power and authority over all things, then we can face whatever tomorrow brings with our eyes fixed on him. Build our faith. Let him be the object of our faith. Now and forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in. Um, we, I just, I want to encourage you. We're going to get a handout um, out and put it on our church center app. That will have questions that you can walk through with your family. Um, it should already be out. If it's not, we'll, we'll get that. So you can just go on the church center app and go to the group Sunday handout. 
and our handout will be there. We want you to interact with one another about this passage, talk it over, maybe over lunch here today or dinner. Um, Also, we'll be in touch uh, regarding um, next week. Be looking for uh, another um, link uh, for a Facebook live live stream next week. We hope to do this very same thing uh, next week. Praying for you. Don't hesitate to reach out. Love you. Thank you.